Paul's last uh, last words that he's written, and uh, I'll read 9 through 18. You can follow along as I read. Here's what Paul writes. Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I send Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. At my first offense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's uh, let's pray together this morning, shall we? Lord, on this uh, Sunday after Thanksgiving, we um, want to continue to give you thanks. And uh, we pray that our lives will um, be a testimony of thanks living every day. So we thank you for another day. Uh, thank you for the gift of life. Thank you for the gift of health. Thank you for family. Thank you for your many blessings in our lives. Uh, thank you for a church family, uh, for a warm building this morning to come and uh, worship you. And so we praise you for all of these things. Lord, we uh, thank you that we can gather together to uh, hear your word. And we pray this morning that the Spirit of God would open up our hearts and minds to what you have for us today. And that we would leave here um, becoming more like you and encouraged in our Christian walk. Lord, we thank you for um, the two uh, captives that were released from Haiti, the missionaries that have been held captive. Lord, we praise you for that. And this morning we pray for the other 15 that are still held captive. May you work in their captive hearts to uh, to release them. And uh, we pray for their safety. Lord, we pray for our nation this morning, and we pray for our president and vice president. Lord, our national leaders, our state leaders, our local leaders. Lord, we pray that uh, they would seek you for guidance and direction. Lord, thank you for the freedoms that we enjoy as a country. Now, uh, bless us today, open up our hearts to your word, and we will thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. We are going to uh, conclude this series called Timeless Truths for Troubled Times, and uh, the Apostle Paul's writing his last letter. He writes it to his son in the faith, Timothy, and uh, you know the background, but I'll remind you, he's in prison, where most of his epistles have been written from, and he's in the Mamertine prison in Rome. He's about to die. He's facing execution, and, and Paul knows it. Uh, he, he writes in verse 6 of chapter 4, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. A picture of the Old Testament uh, sacrifice. The time for my departure is near. So Paul knows that he's going to die. And he writes this final letter to his son in the faith, Timothy, who's pastoring in Ephesus to, to encourage him and to, to share some truths for him in the troubled times that Timothy lives in. Troubled times because uh, Timothy is facing uh, some false teachers that have come into the church. 
troubled times because Nero's on the throne and, and persecution for the church is being ramped up. Troubled times because the Timothy has some health issues. Troubled times because Timothy's son, Timothy's mentor, his, his father figure, his spiritual leader, Paul, is about to die. And so Paul writes uh, these last words uh, to encourage him. And here in verses 9 through 22, we have the last written words of the Apostle Paul. As I mentioned, he's in prison and he's, uh, he's cold. He says, hey, bring, bring a cloak, cloak with me. Winter's coming, if, Timothy, when you come. He's lonely. He's asking for people to visit with him. He's bored. He says, bring the parchment so I have something to do. So I have some reading to do. And so here's Paul, and he writes his last words to Timothy. And uh, the Spirit of God has uh, kept those words for us so that we can have some insight into what's on the mind of the Apostle Paul as he's about to die. And so we want to look at four life lessons from the the last words of the Apostle Paul uh, here in verses 9 through 22. And so let's look at the first one as we think about uh, this chapter and these verses. The first one is the importance of relationships. The importance of relationships. So Paul's writing about this letter and the importance of relationships. And first of all, the importance of his relationship with God. I mean, Paul's already established that, that uh, God is his Savior and, and he's a, an apostle of Christ Jesus, as he writes in the first couple of verses. And, and so he already has that relationship established, the most important relationship in all of life. Paul talks about the importance of having a relationship with God. Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. And as Paul's about to die, he's holding on to that relationship to God that gives him peace and gives him assurance. Paul's ready to meet his Savior, but when we think about the importance of relationships, and you read through uh, this section of Scripture here, beginning in verse 9, uh, Paul's referring to, in this section, his relationships with people. And as we read through this, this, this section in these uh, 14 or 15 verses, we discover that Paul mentions uh, lots of names. They're not familiar names, but they're, they're names that he's sending greetings to. In fact, there are 17 of them, 18 if you include Timothy, that's there by inference. Paul's writing about his relationships. Relationships are important in our life. Relationships enrich our lives. And as we get older, especially as we age, we need that, that social connection. Genesis 2, God said it's not good for man to be alone. God has created us as relational creatures. One of the things that's been so difficult about COVID-19 has been the isolation that people have faced. And, uh, and being uh, isolated in their homes and especially in, in uh, nursing homes and assisted living where, where the, they're isolated and they can't have contact. And so uh, Paul begins to write about relationships and how important they are. And as we age, our relationships get more and more valuable and important. Bonnie wears a palliative care nurse caring for dying people. 
In 2012, she wrote a book out of her nursing experience entitled The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. Number one, I'll just give you the first few here. I wish I had had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. Number two, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. No one ever got to their deathbed and said, I wish I had spent more time at the office. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. It's going across some uh, notes that I had and came across an article that my dad had written probably about uh, 15 years ago. And he was reflecting on his own life and his own ministry. At this point in time, he had been in the ministry for 54 years. He wrote a, 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 an essay entitled, If I Could Do My Ministry Over Again, If I Could Go Back, What Would I Change? Here's what he wrote in one section. It has to do with spending time with family. Although I was able to attend many of my son's sporting events, I still regret a pattern that I fell into for many years. Because in the ministry, the to-do list is never completed when it's time to leave the office for the day, I have this mental picture of a satchel full of books and folders that I lugged home night after night. While my wife and sons played games at the kitchen table, I was engrossed in a book or a sermon outline. I missed interaction and family time. Those nights cannot be recaptured. The only thing I can do is share my regret in hopes that others will not make or repeat the same mistake. Ah, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. Number three, I wish I had had the courage to express my feelings. But where we want to focus on the fourth one, regrets of the dying, that ties into where we're at this morning. Number four, I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. The people that are dying are expressing regrets. I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. And here's the Apostle Paul in writing this last letter, his last will and testament. And he mentions 18 people by name. Uh, if you include Timothy in this, this section, um, here they are. I'm just going to read, read through the names here. Um, none of these will make the top 10 list for baby names for 2021, but uh, here they are. Timothy, Demas, Crescens, Titus, Mark, Tishicus, Carpus, Alexander, Priscilla, Aquila, Anesphorus, Erastus, Trophimus, Eubulus, Pudens, Linus, and Claudia. Now there's some creative names. <laughs> He's, he, so he's, he's mentioning uh, his, his friends and his companions. Now, as we get into the text, we'll see not all of them were his friends. A couple of them were his foes, but most of them were friends. Most of them were partners in ministry, and he's sending greetings to them. Paul's writing about the importance of relationships, the importance of people. Alan Loy McGinnis, author of the best-selling book, The Friendship Factor, states that research shows only 10% of all men ever have any real friends. Only 10% of all men ever have any real friends. Now, we're addressing this to men because uh, ladies do much better in this social network and interaction than men do. Studies show that over and over. 
McGinnis goes on to say, such thinking uh, ignores the wisdom of both Scripture and life. Christ is our example. His ministry was centered in deep friendship with the twelve disciples. Men, if you are married, your wife must be your most intimate friend. But you also need Christian male friends who will not only offer counsel and pray for you, but will also hold you accountable to your commitments and responsibilities when necessary. So here's Paul. He's dying. And he's writing his last words. And he talks about relationships. The importance of relationships in our life. And I like Proverbs 18.24. The author of Proverbs says, A man who has friends must show himself friendly. That's the initiative for us to take uh, initiative in, in, in developing and forming relationships. Well, let's look at the second life lesson. He not only talks about the importance of relationships, but the Apostle Paul says spiritual maturity is a lifelong process that takes time. Spiritual maturity is a lifelong process that takes time. It's obvious from uh, earlier in 1 Timothy chapter 3 where Paul's writing about what are the qualifications of an elder. And uh, one of the, qual- of the many qualifications is that he must not be a novice. He must not be a recent convert. Why? Because spiritual maturity uh, takes time. And so we're going to glean this from the text, and if you'll look at verse 11 of 2 Timothy chapter uh, 4, Paul writes, only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Now that might seem like a rather benign, innocuous statement, bring Mark with me, with you, because he's helpful to me in the ministry. But if we dig a little bit into the background, there's a, there's a lot in that statement. And so let's just kind of step back and get the, the background of Paul's relationship with a young man by the name of Mark, also known as John, John Mark. Mark was a native of Jerusalem. He was a cousin of a fellow by the name of Barnabas in Scripture. And if we go to Acts chapter 12, we discover that when Paul took his first missionary journey, it was Paul, Barnabas, and they invited Mark, Barnabas's cousin, to join with them. And so they're on the first missionary journey, and we come to Acts chapter 13, verse 13. We read from Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia. And then there's just like a little footnote statement where John left them to return to Jerusalem. Now, we don't know any background. We don't, don't know any reasons, but some for some reason, during missionary trip number one, halfway through, John Mark leaves. In fact, Paul later says, he deserted us. Not sure why he left. Maybe he was homesick. Um, maybe the travel was difficult, the scriptures don't say, but John Mark leaves halfway through missionary journey number one. Well, when we go a little further in the book of Acts to Acts chapter 15, now it's time for missionary journey number two. And uh, Paul and Barnabas come together and they say, hey, let's, let's take another missionary journey and, and visit some of those places where we were and establish the church. And it says in Acts 
1537, Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. So here's Paul and Barnabas. Let's get ready for missionary journey number two. Barnabas says, yep, let's get Mark and bring him. And Paul says, no way. Remember what he did last time? He left halfway through. It says in verse 39, they had such a sharp disagreement. Can you imagine that? Two Christians disagreeing about something. <laughs> and, and they're, they're butting heads whether to take Barnabas or take a John Mark along on this missionary journey. And they can't come to a compromise, or maybe they do come to a compromise. They can't come to an agreement. They come to a compromise. Paul takes Silas and goes one direction on a missionary journey. Barnabas takes Mark and sails for Cyprus. And so Paul and Barnabas had this disagreement about John Mark. Now what's interesting is as time goes by, something must have happened. Um, Mark must have somehow... Um, over the years, proved himself faithful in ministry. Because a lot of time goes by, and we look at some other sections of Scripture, Philemon 23 and 24, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, sends you greetings, Paul writes. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. So 20 years later, Paul's writing this little letter of Philemon, and he calls Mark, my fellow worker. One commentator writes, somewhere along the way, Paul had given Mark a second chance. And Mark had proven to be a worthy helper. Paul realized that people can change. Mark went not only on to become Paul's friend and trusted Christian leader, but he went on to write, the Gospel of Mark. Spiritual maturity is a lifelong process that takes time. And at one point in time, uh, John Mark uh, was, not, uh, was not faithful to continue on in that missionary journey, but as time went on, uh, John Mark changed, and John Mark became a, a faithful worker to the point where in, in 2 Timothy 4, 11, Paul says to Timothy, bring Mark with me because what? He's profitable for me in my ministry. He's proven to be a faithful co-worker. Spiritual maturity is a lifelong process that takes time. I look back in uh, uh, raising our three boys and uh, in those uh, sometimes in those teenage years, and uh, I remember being a little... Um, maybe frustrated with our boys, uh, 12, 14, 16 years of age, because uh, I had uh, I had some expectations that were up up here, probably set too high. And what I realized, and I finally started to th- to think in my own heart and my own mind, like, okay, what was I like when I was 14, 16, or 18? What was my focus? What was my mindset like? And all of a sudden I realized that uh, I had been setting the bar too high. Spiritual maturity is a lifelong process that takes time. Therefore, we have to be patient. We have to be patient with people. John Newton, uh, who wrote Amazing Grace, wrote this famous quote, I am not what I ought to be. 
I am not what I want to be, but I am not what I used to be, and by the grace of God, I am what I am. Now, while spiritual maturity is a lifelong process that takes time, we also need to take note and say that time alone does not produce spiritual maturity. And just because you've been a Christian for 10 years, 20 years, 40 years, 50 years, does not automatically guarantee spiritual maturity. It is a process that takes effort. In fact, when Paul wrote to the Corinthian believers in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, he says, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. Paul's frustration with the church at Corinth is like, you're still spiritual babes, and you should be maturing in your walk with God. And so time alone doesn't guarantee spiritual maturity. That's why Paul writes in Philippians 2, continue to work out your salvation as God works in you. It's this partnership between you and between God. 1 Timothy 4, 7, train yourself to be godly. The word there, train, is the word gymnos, which we get the word gymnasium. It takes effort. It takes spiritual disciplines. It takes the commitment to, to corporate worship. It takes the commitment to, to being in God's word. 1 Peter 2, 2, as newborn babes. Crave pure spiritual milk so that you may grow up in your salvation. So as we're in God's Word and we allow God's Word to, to, to change us and to, to, to move in our life, we mature. Spiritual discipline of using our spiritual giftedness, of, of having godly friendships. Uh, Proverbs twenty seven seventeen: as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Spiritual maturity is a lifelong process that takes time. And, and thank God that uh, John Mark um, grew and changed. And uh, Paul was able to say at the end of his life, hey, bring Mark with you because now he's, he's, he's profitable for ministry. Life lesson number three. Two more to go here. Life lesson number three. Rather than seeking revenge we should release people who have harmed us to the Lord. Now I mentioned, Paul mentions 17 names here in the last part of 2 Timothy chapter 4, but not all of them are his close friends. In fact, he mentions the name of one particular man. He calls him Alexander the coppersmith. And he's very honest about uh, Alexander and his relationship. Let's, let's look at it. In uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, and uh, what Paul has to say in verse 14. Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. One of the unavoidable aspects of life in a fallen world is that uh, we all are going to experience pain and hurt and harm in our life. Because we live in a broken world. And we live in a fallen world. And we're all going to experience, in, in one sense, what, what Paul is writing about here. And Paul doesn't pull any punches. He says, this guy did me a great deal of harm. In fact, he gives a warning in verse 15. 
you too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. Some commentators speculate that Alexander the coppersmith was one who gave a, a witness and a testimony against Paul at his trial. In other words, Paul's in this Mamertine prison. Why? Because of some people who, who gave uh, some strong words against Paul. And so uh, Paul says, Alexander the, the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. Now notice how Paul responds. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. That's a very significant statement, isn't it? And when we have fractures in our relationships, of course, uh, there's uh, steps in Scripture of, of how to try to reconcile with, with somebody but uh, there are often times where that can't be done. And so the, the model of the Apostle Paul here is rather than, than seeking revenge, here's what you can do. You can just turn that person over to the Lord. And that's what Paul does. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. Earlier in Romans chapter 12, uh, Verses 17 and 19, uh, Paul writing to the Roman believers, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Don't get involved in this cycle of, of payback and, and revenge. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Verse 19, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. So how does Paul handle this, this fellow who, who deeply hurt the Apostle Paul and did him a great deal of harm? He says, I'm going to turn him over to God. And God, the just God, the righteous judge, who in the Genesis 18.25, shall not the righteous judge of all the earth do what is right? I'm just going to release this person over to the Lord. And there is a day of accountability coming someday. And I'm not going to waste my time and effort and energy in, in seeking and plotting revenge, but I'm going to turn him over to the Lord. James chapter 5, James writes about patience and suffering. He says, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield his valuable crops, patiently waiting for autumn and spring. You too should be patient because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. And be patient. There's a day coming of accountability. And God will um, be the righteous judge someday. So don't get involved in revenge. But turn that over, that person over to the judge of all the earth who will do what is right. All right, life lesson number four, last one here in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And it's this, for the, for the Christian, we can have confident assurance that God will someday bring us safely home to heaven. Remember, this is the Apostle Paul. He, he knows he's going to die. He's probably within weeks, certainly with month, within months of being executed by the Roman government. And he leaves us some closing words here with some, some great uh, assurance 
and encouragement. Let me read them for you again. Verse 16, at my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. Again, we see Paul not, not holding on to, to ill will or bitterness. He says, the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. So that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. Sounds like the book of Daniel, doesn't it? In that story. Verse 18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack. Here's the phrase I want you to hang on to. And he will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. The Apostle Paul, he's facing death. He's down to his closing weeks or months. And the Apostle Paul is able to face death with confidence and assurance because his faith is in his heavenly Father. His faith is in Jesus, his Savior. And he says, my Savior is going to bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. We're reminded there's two things in life that are unavoidable, the saying goes. Death and taxes. Death is no respecter of persons. Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment. This is something we will all face someday. And as Paul is facing death, as he is facing execution, he does so with an unshakable confidence. The Lord will bring me safely home into his kingdom. Let me remind you as we come into the Christmas season, as we begin to celebrate um, the, the incarnation, uh, the, the Word becoming flesh, the very reason that Jesus came is exactly what Paul is talking about here in 1 Timothy 4. Let me remind you of the author of Hebrews in Hebrews 2. Since the children have flesh and blood, He, Jesus, shared in their humanity so that by his death he may break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by what? Their fear of death. So if you ask in surveys uh, to to most people, um, what's your number one fear in life? The number one answer is, is usually death and dying. And the author of Hebrews says that the Christmas season about the incarnation is, is so that we no longer have to fear death. We no longer have to fear dying. Paul writes about it elsewhere. 2 Corinthians 5.8 Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Philippians chapter 1 so He writes about his struggle about uh, life and ministry. He writes... For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Verse 23, I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far, far better. He uses a triple superlative. My, my heart desires to be in heaven because that's far, far better than life in a fallen world on planet Earth. And so that familiar psalm, the psalmist writes, Psalm 23 uh, the closing verses bring us great, great assurance in our lives. 
He says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Apostle Paul says we can have confident assurance that when we get to that point, God's going to take us safely to our heavenly home. Dr. Erwin Lutzer writes in his book, The, The Vanishing Power of Death, Conquering Your Greatest Fear. He writes these words about a a seminary friend of his by the name of Tom Condren. He says, Tom Condren, a seminary classmate of mine, was diagnosed with cancer several years ago. A few weeks before he died, he called me on the phone, and in a forced whisper, he said these words, These are good days. Nothing has taken away my peace and joy. When I found out that I had cancer, I feared that I would not be able to live up to the sermons I had preached. But God is not al- but God has not allowed me to waver. The finish line is in sight. Goodbye, Irwin. I will see you in heaven. God will someday safely bring us to our heavenly home. God not only gives us saving grace, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. God not only gives us sustaining grace for trials that we face, as Paul writes about in, in Corinthians, that, that um, uh, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And, and it's been God's sustaining grace that's helped me through a trial. But God also gives us grace for dying. Jude chapter uh, 1, I guess there's only one chapter in Jude, but uh, Jude... 24 and 25, uh, here's, here's what uh, uh, we read. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault with great joy to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord now and forevermore. God will take us safely home. Most people think we're in the land of the living on planet Earth, going to the land of the dying, when in reality we're in the land of the dying, headed to the land of the living. Well, four life lessons from Paul's closing words in Second Timothy chapter 4. Number one is the importance of relationships. What's an action point we can take this week as so we think about the importance of relationships? It's, 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 it's the, the importance of investing in other people's lives and taking time to, 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 to spend time in investing in uh, people and in friendships. And boy, we need, to, we need to do that. Secondly, spiritual maturity is a lifelong process that takes time. But we need to make a commitment to those spiritual disciplines, don't we? so we can continue to grow in, in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus and Savior. And lastly, uh, don't need to take revenge, do we? Uh, we are going to get hurt as we walk through this life in this fallen world. And rather than focusing on revenge, we can release the person to God who will do what is right. And lastly, 
All of us are going to face death's door at some point in time. And we can do so with confident assurance that God will safely deliver us to our heavenly home. I trust that encourages you this morning. Let's, uh, let's pray together, shall we? Lord, thank you for the last words of the Apostle Paul. Lord, thank you that he was able to write, I've, 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 I've kept the faith, I've, I've finished my course, I've been faithful, and now there's a, there's a reward waiting for me someday. Lord, thank you for the, the faithfulness of the Apostle Paul and the, the, the words that he's written that encourage us today. Lord, help us to invest time and energy into the lives of, of people and friendships and relationships that will bless and encourage our lives and each other. Lord, help us to continue on in our journey of a spiritual maturity, to realize it doesn't happen automatically, but to commit to the disciplines of corporate worship and being in your word and uh, being in accountability relationships and using our giftedness to further your kingdom. And Lord, thank you that we don't have to get involved in in putting time and energy into a revenge for those that have maybe hurt us or harmed us, but we can release them to you. Lord, may you do their, your work in their hearts and lives. And then, Lord, thank you for the truth that our, our citizenship is in heaven and we're on a journey and that you have promised to safely deliver us to our heavenly home someday. Lord, thank you for the, the hope of Christmas and for the very reason why you came to be our Savior, our Deliverer, and the one who will remove from us the fear of death. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.